Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Ilm Feed podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Shabir Hassan. Uh, we've got a really, really exciting episode lined up for you all today, inshallah. We've got someone who, um, subhanAllah, he's actually known as the traveling imam. We'll find out why, because uh, what I'm hearing is he's traveled to like more than 100 countries. Um, so I'm really, really excited to hear about the travels. We're going to talk a lot about traveling, going to talk about a lot about, um, you know, uh, different lands, uh, exploring different places, Muslim lands in particular. Um, and really, it is a great, great pleasure um, to have with us, joining us all the way, mashallah, from Istanbul. Uh, oh, I don't know if it's Istanbul. Yeah, it might be. Turkey, mm -hmm. definitely in Turkey. I know that. Uh, we have with us Sheikh Dr. Walid Hakim. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. Imam Shabir. Jazakallah khair for hosting me. We've been trying to arrange this for a year now, right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Alhamdulillah. But thank you so much for joining. And yeah, it's it's been it's been an odd year, I guess. That's probably why, um, uh, with the way things have been going. Uh, I guess even for you as well, right? Because you're you're used to traveling. So how has that been for you? Well, I, to, to be honest with you, I mean, during the COVID period, Allah helped me to travel to 14 countries. I was never concerned about the uh, as long alhamdulillah as long as you take the precautions it's like staying at home so mm. i never took my mask off when i was in public uh, i always kept my distance um what happens is sometimes people uh you sit down with people everyone is wearing masks first and after half hour you trust each other you start taking the masks off i don't do that so alhamdulillah uh, even though in the in that period 14 countries about 78 cities Alhamdulillah, I did not catch COVID yet, and I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects everyone uh, from this uh, disease. And even my, my mother, who's with me now, she's 80 years old, and she traveled with me as well, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. And we took the precautions as well. So, uh, inshallah, that, that's all I tell people, that don't don't be afraid and, and uh, take the precautions and tawakkal ala Allah, and, and inshallah, you'll have an, a nice time, inshallah. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, so subhanAllah, like in that year you did 14. Uh, obviously, this is during a time where, um, depending on where you're living, so us here in the UK, obviously travel was pretty much shut. So for, for a lot of us, we're accustomed to, yeah, no traveling, essentially. Um, uh, I would stuff. mention, since you mentioned the UK, that's where I first got stranded when, you know, mm. every, everyone remembers the date of 15 March 2020. Yep. That's when the whole world shut down like a domino, subhanAllah, a domino effect. And, and at that time, I was actually stuck in, in transit in Turkey. And I kept checking every single country in the world is closed. And we thought we we're going to sleep in an airport for, uh, for weeks and months. And then when we checked, everyone was saying that the UK is still wide open. I couldn't believe it, uh, mm. subhanAllah. But we had no options. The last international flights were coming out. We even went to Germany, and despite living in the EU, they still said no, only the citizens of Germany. Right. And when we got to London, alhamdulillah, we were let in without a single question. And we, we were happy that they had that open policy, because if they didn't, we mm. would have no place to stay. It was the it was the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we stayed there for four months, and it was some of the most enjoyable four months we had in our life, because... Uh, I never enjoyed London that empty. It was so beautiful. Like everyone yeah. was afraid of going out. And I was going out by myself just, uh, of course, with the mask and precautions and and seeing the, the uh, walking around the Thames River for like uh, 15, 16 kilometers, 10 miles, and just enjoying it that way, alhamdulillah. Wow, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. No, I'm very, very happy to hear that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really interested just to hear about the traveling. And before we get into that, Actually, I wanted to ask you, because someone who's very fond of traveling and history and different cultures, um, why, you know, why you feel like it's so important um, to travel and, and for you personally, what your intention is behind the traveling? Because I guess everyone has a different intention to travel, right? Like I have some friends or people that I know that um, any chance that they get, if they have some time off, they will only go to like one or two places and like Dubai, for example, right? And I say to them, look, man, there's more places out there in the world than like Dubai. Like, I, I get it. I get the hype behind it. Um, but for, for some people, it's about just, I want a bit of sun, a bit of enjoyment, just a holiday. Um, so what is it for you? And obviously for us as Muslims in particular, why, why is traveling so important? 
Well, I will tell you first, for me personally, how it started the journey. I mean, I was just uh, at that time in the United States, I was doing my master's and Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed me to be active in uh, my local Muslim Students Association and, and doing uh, classes and workshops. And at that time, subhanAllah, I got a book and I will never forget that book. It's a book about uh, uh, like uh, family life by Dr. Ikram Rida Bashir. And I was reading the back side of the book and the back side, it said that they have traveled and they have presented their workshop about family life in 30 countries. And I was like, subhanAllah, that's an amazing number. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he helps me to, to, to go and teach in that many countries and, and meet the Muslim community. And uh, that number 30 got stuck with me, you know, subhanAllah. It's like a, a vision. But at that time, at that time when I saw this, I've only been to three countries. <laughs> right. So th that was just in uh, in about 2004, subhanAllah. But uh, the dream was there. The means wasn't there yet because I was still studying, you know, in, 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 in college. And I could say the means were there, but I just wasn't aware of how to do budget traveling at that time. You know, when you first start, your comfort zone is is small, Mm. So you start you start as the safest possible option, and that's exactly what I did. I joined the paid tour. These are usually expensive, right? But they provide good value because they, you have uh, you have a tour guide who's with you all the time. You're with the group all the time. You start breaking the first fears you have about travel, mm. and then eventually you get enough comfort that you start traveling alone. But usually you will only travel maybe inside your country or in countries where you could speak the language. Mm. And slowly, slowly, you have to, uh, uh, every time, widen that comfort zone. So I remember the first time I traveled to a country where I can't speak the language, uh, and I went to Spain, and I was a bit apprehensive about it. Uh, and, and subhanAllah, just uh, with a bit of, you know, uh, dictionary and, and uh, some sign language, you start to break these fears until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me to learn the language and be able to speak it. Uh, you don't have to do that to travel. Mm. And then uh, Spain still has a Latin language, you know, so you could read the signs, you could translate them. But then the next challenge when you go to a country that doesn't have a Latin alphabet and now you suddenly feel you cannot read the signs anymore, like Chinese or Cyrillic or Japanese. So when I went to Japan, that was another major step because now no one speaks English at all. Uh, I mean, they do, but very, very few. And now you have to read signs that uh, are not Latin. So, and then Alhamdulillah, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps providing us the, you know, the technology. Now you have cameras in your phone, you point at any language and they will translate it to you on the spot. So what I advise everyone is to break your... Every time, try to challenge yourself one step. It doesn't have to be a huge step. You don't suddenly go to some of the most dangerous countries in the world. And you will discover after some time that danger is just a perception. What you see on TV doesn't necessarily translate to your own experience when you go to a country. So I would tell people, start easy and work your way harder. And that's my own personal journey. It started as a curiosity about history and, and learning. And then, of course, you know, you could only travel so much for leisure. After that, you will start feeling empty. I mean, the, 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 the excitement when you arrive to a new country uh, before uh, when, when you travel, that, that starts to go down and you start looking for something else. When you add meaning to your travel, like, for example, volunteering or teaching, or sharing something with the local Muslim community. Every country in the world, maybe except North Korea, has a Muslim community. So when you add that meaning to your journey, you start feeling very different. You start feeling that you're on a mission. You're no longer just uh, you know doing it for leisure. You start feeling that you're adding to your scale of deeds. You start feeling uh, 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 all the connections that you make with the Muslim community. And that's why... You know, Imam al-Shafi'i, uh, we know the famous uh, uh, poem lines that he wrote about travel. It's actually very long, but people usually mm. quote the most important part of it. Travel away from your country to seek 
highness. You have to seek new horizons. وسافر ففي الأسفار خمس فوائد in travel because travel has five benefits. تفريجهم uh, in the first one is to make yourself feel better. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling uh, depressed, if you're feeling sad, travel makes you feel happier because mm. it's you're experiencing many new things and and you're changing the mood and this and the the circumstances that you're in that made you sad. That's why everybody loves a holiday, right? Everyone loves a holiday. Yes, when people yeah. feel down, they say, I need a holiday. When mm. uh, when people have a sad time in their life, a holiday, even, even Hollywood is promoting that to us, right? When someone breaks up, they go on a holiday. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, uh, and it's a halal way of doing this. You know, people, people who feel down, uh, non-Muslims, they go to drinking or drugs or something else. No. Uh, travel gives you that dopamine. You know, that, that, that feeling of happiness when you see new things and new weather and new food and new people. And, and th- that newness gives you that passion of life again, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. And I think that feeling is addictive. I could yeah. say this after 100 countries. Every time I land in a new country, there is that rush of happiness. And, and it makes you feel really like a child. You know why? Because when you're a child... The whole, even your own city, the whole world was still new to you. Everything, the sign was new, reading is new, seeing things were new. So, so that brings you back to the memories of childhood when you, when you are still feeling a bit discomfort trying to learn about the world. Yeah. Uh, the second benefit he mentioned, to, to get a sustenance, a rizq. And, 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 and travel opens these doors. Yeah, subhanAllah. I would not be in, uh, many people know from my page, I worked as an imam in Norway. That would never happen if I didn't travel. I'm from, I'm born in the US. I'm from Canada. My parents, Egyptian and Turkish, already, mashallah, the mix. <laughs> but subhanAllah, I mean, uh, how I ended up in Norway, I was just going for a conference in Sweden and, and people came from Norway. And after my lecture, they were just joking. They said, you know, we would love for you to come to Norway. I said, why, why, why are you joking? I would love to come to Norway. They thought I'm joking too. And the whole, the whole thing of moving to Norway started from that joke. And I said, no, I would love to move to Europe. They said, we don't know anyone who wants to move from like North America to Europe. I said, everyone has different reasons. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens new doors. And, and you will find this, you will make new partners if you have a business you will find new uh, company, new opportunities. Also, you you will find new merchandise. It opens a lot of doors, connections, and ideas. You could even, even if you don't bring anything, you bring ideas from other countries. And when you implement them in your own country, it makes your product and your uh, your whatever you're offering to the people unique. Even you as a person, as an employee, if you're an employee, you will also have people, when people hire, they love to see travel experience on the CV because it says that you've learned something, you've 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 went above the rest, and 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 you've you will bring new skills and new ideas to wherever you work, inshallah. Mm. But that, that's the second point Imam Shafi mentioned, and the third one he said, knowledge. Seeking knowledge is is a big part of travel, subhanAllah. And I'm saying this. Yeah, and you not only organize classrooms, but also your open-mindedness. Yeah, and you, sometimes we as Muslims have this where we are only fixated about our madhab, our school of thought, our uh, uh, and and when you travel and meet other Muslims, it opens up. When you, for example, when I was in Turkey, and when I first arrived, the Imam says Waladalin, and I say Amin, and then I found I'm the only one saying it. Yeah. And there is an awkward echo in the mosque. <laughs> you start, you start noticing. Oh, I'm learning something here. Subhanallah. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you go to any uh, Morocco and you start hearing the Quran in Warsh and you didn't hear it before, you start. Oh, oh should I correct the Imam? No, you're not <laughs> correcting him. He's correct. So, so all these moments teach you that Subhanallah, the Muslim community is very wide and very mm. vast. And it will help you to just open your horizons and accept everyone. Absolutely. It's a Sheikh, cure, I, it's, it's a cure I, for intolerance. Yes, can Imam. I share a, a quick uh, story with you? Just just tying in Please. with this. So, so um, a couple of years ago, we were in um, we were in Malaysia, 
and uh, we were we were we were we were catching the flight back actually so we were at the airport i was with my wife and um after we went into the prayer room to pray salah uh, individually and uh, after we prayed she came out and she looked very like something had just happened so i said what happened right she said oh you know um this lady was telling me off this malaysian lady was telling me off i said why what did you do and no 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 i wasn't wearing socks while i was praying and she was shouting at me pointing at my feet saying you must you have to wear socks yourself so she was really worried like what's what's this and i said look you have to understand like in this part of the world a lot of these uh, uh brothers and sisters they follow a different madhab where they say you know like the shafi'i madhab you must cover your feet uh hanafis we don't you know it's it's not a requirement for women um so she's like, okay i learned something new so just tying it in there with with your story you learn things and i guess for people when they think about ilm they think oh if i travel that does that mean like you said i have to attend a lecture or a class or i have to study a book is that what it means but i think what you're talking about here is more even just life experience and the the different things you learn about other people right yes that's correct subhanallah and i i almost actually got kicked out of a, a masjid in russia in the north part of russia really? and because why because i didn't i didn't wear a hat praying inside mm. So actually the the someone from the mosque came and insulted me and pushed me out. I was like, "Whoa." Wow. <laughs> yeah, because and then he showed me a sign where they clearly say you must have a hat. So mm-hmm. I learned to keep a hat with me. I I I'm not saying this is the best way that what 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 this person has done. Uh subhanallah we, we go through these things sometimes, but but it made me think about uh the sensitivities of of going to another place that you have to learn and sometimes you have to read in advance or ask a local friend so you don't make these uh, mm. cultural mistakes when you go somewhere uh, absolutely absolutely wow okay mashallah so that's the, that's the third one right uh yes the third one was uh, knowledge mm. uh the fourth one he said adabun manners you know and this is why something very important that the etiquette in, in, in that you pick up every country has something beautiful to teach us about etiquette Uh, even non-Muslim countries, subhanAllah, yani, you, you start noticing some of the etiquette they do is, is part of Islam. Mm. And and, and yani, when I saw, for example, uh, when I went to Japan, and I see how uh, when you visit a Japanese school, how when the children come, they are learned to take their shoes off and they have shoe boxes and they have numbers and they even have a brush to clean the box before they put their shoes in and Uh, and and when you see the subhanallah you start thinking about what the shoe boxes in our mosques why <laughs> yeah. why don't we subhanallah uh, as imams we have a responsibility to train our community to follow something which, which is uh, originally it's from islam you know right but when you see children who are seven years old in japan doing it consistently and with that nice system you say subhanallah we want our community to follow that system too and what shocked me is When I went to the mosque in Japan, I thought, okay, I'm going to see this the same culture being practiced there. But no, the shoes were on the floor and the boxes were empty. So so we, we have a lot of catching up when we do when it comes. Yeah. So, so that travel to learn manners, I saw, for example, in uh, in that country. I saw in Malaysia, you know, on the Eid day, uh, people have their homes open. Complete strangers could just walk in and give salam and have some food. Wow. And in, in some countries, we feel protective. Like if we do this, mm. that we're going to be attacked by thieves or something. And it might be a perception of crime, not a reality of crime. Most of the countries I was told are the most dangerous in the world. Alhamdulillah, I went there and it was incident free. And people say, maybe you were just lucky. And I say, no. You know, first of all, the you take the pre you depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you take the precautions and statistically even those so-called most dangerous countries you see it's like 30 in 100,000 okay so you have a very low chance of something happening to you mm-hmm. if you are following the precautions so so the travel again uh, yani look for the etiquette of the local people and see is there something i could take back with me or implement in my own character mm very interesting adab okay it's a very interesting one and i think last one sheikh uh last one for imam shafi of course we have uh, yeah 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 we have to add our own <laughs> touch on it he said suhbatu majidin the suhbah the friendship whether you are traveling with a group of people 
you will bond like like you never bonded in in your life when you were just living together in the same city because when you're living to when you are in the same city you will visit each other maybe for two hours three hours eat something together or go out together you will only see a certain side people people only keep their uh, their good manners and coolness for that much but if you were to spend a few days with them your shortcomings are going to come out in front of them and their shortcomings are going to come out in front of you and uh, you will sometimes uh, uh, act irritated you will sometimes uh, have to practice patience towards uh, certain habits of the other individual so it humbles you down it humbles you down and it also teaches you that we're all human you know and sometimes we only show our best sides for short meetings but mm. together when you travel you start seeing as well the the akhlaq of the person yani i think one of the best ways to test someone who proposed to uh, your daughter or your son is to travel with them because then the <laughs> the real akhlaq will see any yani, the impatience yeah. or impatience or all that and 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 you know subhanallah yani, some of my colleagues like uh, sheikh mohammed al-sharif and sheikh kamal al-makki uh, those are the two i traveled with the most and yeah. and we become uh, instead of just friends or colleagues we became like siblings after that yani we we keep in touch. We are very close to each other. We take care of each other. So whoever you travel with will become like your family, and it makes you reflect. Who are you going to travel with in the akhirah? Because really, the journey we have here maybe one week, two weeks, because you have to go back to your family. But in the akhirah, that journey when you get out of the grave, and you have to walk the long walk to the ardul hisab to the land of accounting, that could be about forty years or more. So who is going to walk with you? And not in the conditions like here, you have your backpack and your food and your water and restaurants. No, you will be, the sun will be very close to our heads. People will be scared. People will be naked. Some people, alhamdulillah, from their good deeds, they will be riding instead of walking. So who is going to be your companion on that journey? So whoever you are traveling with in this life, might be the person you are traveling with in the afterlife. So that way you could you could test your choice before the mm. day comes and you could influence and affect each other and remind each other of that. Subhanallah. Yani the salah habits of someone, someone who's good in salah, if you travel with them, you will be good in salah too. So mm. if so travel with a with a with a righteous person, inshaAllah is a way to correct myself, to humble myself, to learn from someone else, to learn their, uh, their dhikr habit or, or uh, 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 how they, for example, read the Qur'an when they're traveling. All these things mm-hmm. you pick up from your travel companion. And then suhba also doesn't mean only the travel companion who's going with you, even if you're traveling solo. It's the people you meet while you travel. Mm-hmm. Every, alhamdulillah, you go to countries... Where you don't imagine there is a, there is a mosque, you go to Moldova, for example, Muslims are like 0.1%, you will still find the mosque. You will still meet the local community. You will speak to them and see where did they come from. They may come from other countries. What are they doing here? Uh, you will learn secrets about the country and, and, and cultural things. You will never read in books from the people, the situation of living there. And it could open big opportunities in your life, subhanAllah. Mm. That's that's the benefits, some of the benefits Imam al-Shafi'i has mentioned about traveling. Amazing. And you know what? It's it's, it's crazy because before, Sheikh, you even mentioned Imam al-Shafi'i and you you started uh, reading out some of his benefits uh, and his poetry. Uh, As soon as you started talking about travel, that's the first person that came to my mind. Anytime I think about traveling, I always think of Imam al-Shafi'i because he himself obviously embodied that in his own life and he travel to different land his poetry a lot of times he uh, he does speak uh, about traveling and one that I'm when you were when you explaining was you know famous one where he says um, i think it begins tajid amman to and he say he's a really beautiful example about the the water and how he saw very stagnant water and he says this water um, it, it becomes very filthy. It becomes very impure. But then when he sees flowing water at the other end of the stream, he says, this is the fresh water. And I remember my dad was explaining to him, this is the example of uh, 
a person constantly on the move, uh, they are like the fresh stream of water. And a person who just stays in their bubble at home all the time and doesn't want to travel, they become like stagnant water. So I guess it really does, as you've mentioned, Sheikh, it really does influence your progression even just as a person, right? And it develops you when you go out and travel. Yes, subhanAllah. And, and I always say it, I learned more from traveling than from my college degrees because that's yeah. the real life experience you get. Uh, yani, subhanAllah. And, and something I want to say here is, is I see a lot of young people travel backpacking even on very limited amount of money. But most of the young people I see are non-Muslims. I think Muslim parents are very protective of their youth and they don't let them travel thinking always thinking that they will do something haram and and we need to we need to change that thinking because in in three four years they're going to travel alone anyway once they move out of your home and have their own job and become independent you cannot police them forever but when you let them travel they will get skills they will mature faster and we always complain for example sometimes people complain that the the youth are not mature yet. It's because you did not let them travel alone. And when they travel alone, they get these skills and they learn. And 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 I want to see more young Muslims doing backpacking because whenever sometimes I stay in hostels and I meet young people and I want to see uh, uh, any I want to see Muslim young travelers going there. Mm. When I ask often, uh, there is a, there is a tender in the community that we are overprotective. Of mm-hmm. our youth, so let the, let the youth travel and trust them, and inshallah, they will learn to to do the right thing when they uh, travel. Yeah, no, I'm so glad, Sheikh. You mentioned, you touched on that point about um, the families and just the general, like as Muslims, as as Muslims, how we are uh, with with our children and, and with the youngsters, like that overprotectiveness. So, like even myself, growing up, a lot of people in the community, a lot of the youngsters can relate to this. You know, traveling was not really an option. Um, for a lot of our parents, whether it's to do with finances, whatever it was, uh, it was just not an option. We just You just wouldn't go out and venture as much. And even growing up, it would be like more to do with protectiveness. You know, I don't want you to go travel with your friends. It's not even to do with religious reasons. It's more like something might happen, right? Um, yes. And subhanAllah, like, you know, my, my parents, may Allah bless them. That's the kind of mindset they had. And then it got to a stage where I was like, no, you know, I got to an age uh, rather where I was like, no, you know, I'm going to regret this if I don't travel now. Um, I'm, I'm just really going to regret uh, and look back at my life thinking I could have learned and picked up so much. And, and now they're more open to it because they saw, oh, he went to Turkey, he went to Bosnia, he went to Malaysia, and he's okay, you know. Uh, if anything, it worked out It worked out well for him. Um, so I really do agree with you on this point about that and, mindset. And they will be better Muslims, Yanni. When you send the youth, for example, to Andalus and they see their heritage and they see their history, they will love their Islam from their heart, not because their parents told them. And they will come back and they are curious to learn more. It's not only about uh, sending them or not. It's where you are sending them, where you're allowing them to travel. So don't be afraid. These countries are very safe. And the mm. chances of something happening is extremely low with a little precaution. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just uh, so, so just to round up this point, then, do you have a tally? I know you said 100 plus countries. Do you have a ta- my, my first question is, do you have a tally at the moment? And second question is, in terms of the languages, I'm quite interested and curious to know how many languages have you picked up over the years just from your from your traveling? Jazakallah khair. I, alhamdulillah, the, the number right now is 121. <clears throat> but to be to be honest with you, I stopped counting because. When you when you are first traveling, you start feeling like you're collecting trophies, you know. So you go quickly to this country, two days here, two days here, two days here. And I stopped doing that because I want more depth. So if I like a country, I will spend several months there to learn everything about it, to absorb the local culture, to, to live like a local instead of just uh, hopping. I mean, hopping is good when you first start because you are exploring uh, and, and, and as fast as possible and determining your your favorites. Um, so so that's what it comes to numbers. Some people count also states because, you know, big country like United States, I mean, uh, can't count it as one, right? So uh, Russia also, Russia is huge. I mean, the largest country in the world. Canada's big. 
Australia is big. So these countries, people count states too. But as I said, I mean, after some point, you really stop the counting. If I didn't just do this on an app, I wouldn't know. Mm. Uh, the, the most important thing is the experiences you collect. And since mm. you asked about the, um, the languages, that's, that's also another benefit, subhanAllah, of, uh, of traveling. So alhamdulillah, I, I focused on, I mean, I looked at the languages around the world and I said, which one would give me the most benefit from learning? Because you're investing time from your life and you want to know what's the return on your investment. So mm. people, for example, if you're speaking this, obviously you're, you, you know English and your first language always has to be the language of the Quran. And you don't have to, to reach mastery level. You know, in most languages, just memorizing 500 words it makes you understand 80% of the language. Even even the Quran, 80% of the Quran is 350 words. Mm. You learn these words, next time you, you're standing behind the imam, you could pick up on the context, even if you don't know the deep meaning. You could go read yeah. further, of course. Um, and people who say it's hard, if you say it's hard, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the opposite. We made the Quran easy. Is there someone to... To, to read it, to remember it. So uh, if it's difficult, it means you're not learning the correct way. It means you have to find a different way. Many people start with grammar. I say never start a language by learning the grammar. Start like, how does a child learn a language? They learn it by hearing it and practicing the words and sentences they hear. That's what you need to do. Mm. You, you learn words and sentences. And after you learn the sentences... Your brain, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala designed it in a way it will, that picks up patterns. So you will notice the grammar without thinking too hard. So that way your brain is not slow. You are fast when you speak. And then after that, when you study the grammar, you're, you're putting what you learned into context. Mm -hmm. If you start with grammar first, what happens is every time... You want to say something, you're overcomplicating it. You're thinking about what's the correct grammar and correct, uh, and that doesn't really matter. Sometimes when I learn a language, for example, uh, the words I don't know, I just say the English word instead of them. So I don't slow down the flow of my conversation yeah. until I eventually get the right word. For using this uh, and knowing uh, what to learn, first I learned after Arabic and English, I learned Spanish. Because Spanish is the most frequent language in the world. It's not the biggest in terms of numbers. Yani Mandarin, for example, is one billion, but mostly in one country uh, or yani, Taiwan. But, uh, but if, if you learn Spanish, you could already travel in 26 countries, South America, Central America, all these islands. And Spain itself, it gives you value because Andalus, because mm. that's our heritage. And because... Uh, the, the Spanish language, more than a quarter of the words are from Arabic origin and, and Quranic origin even. So you start connecting the dots when you learn Spanish. So alhamdulillah, that's something I learned uh, by uh, throwing myself into the swimming pool, right? Uh, I'm not, uh, you, you go and you pick sentence and sentence and you test it with people. And what helped is people don't speak English in Spain, not so much. Mm. So you have to rely on the language to get around. Uh, simple expressions, where is something, how is something, I want something, go somewhere. And then slowly, slowly, your brain is going to pick up more words and learn it. And you could learn from a book or CD. Now you have Duolingo. You have some very nice apps you could learn for free. Alhamdulillah, it became fun. Mm. Um, uh, and also, alhamdulillah, I, I, I had to learn Norwegian because I have a citizenship uh, test in one year. And you don't get the citizenship of a country without learning the language. Yeah. And once you learn Norwegian, Danish and Swedish are like 90% similar. So you could say three languages in one already. It makes your CV start mm. looking bigger, right? Alhamdulillah. For people who, of course, uh, care about that and yeah, want to yeah, yeah. for jobs. I don't apply for jobs anymore. Because people who do that, it looks nice on your CV, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the languages around the world are made in families. You learn one language one language from a family, it's very easy to learn the language next door. So once, for example, I learned Spanish, alhamdulillah, once I went to Italy, Italian was very easy. I mean, mm. it's a distinct language, but it, for me as an outsider, it appears like it's just a dialect of uh, a Spanish and, and Ital Italian are just dialects of Latin. I don't want to offend anyone if you say one is a, a dialect from the other, but it appears for an outsider mm. that way. 
So then the words, the numbers are similar. The words are similar. And all you have to do is a little bit of customization. Mm. Um, when you learn one, like for example, Russian, you're able to understand all the Eastern European languages. Not all. I mean, 80% of them. There's a few who are not uh, Slavic languages. So you could understand yeah. Polish. You could understand Bosnian. You could understand the, the, the numbers are exact same. The words are very similar. And that's the beauty. You learn one. Uh, I would say my advice is after you do English, Arabic, and Spanish, because these will give you the most uh, coverage in the world. Then you get just a little bit of each uh, family of languages. Mm. Um, I, I learned Japanese, alhamdulillah, because of uh, of uh, childhood interest. You know, in, in uh, I used to have interest in manga and anime back when it was still uh, ethical you know not right now there's yeah, a lot yeah. of subhanallah wrong things and sexualization and all that mm. but when we when we were growing up it was very innocent uh and 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 sometimes i had to wait for when it, when a game comes out you know we had the old the super nintendo we had yeah. to wait a few months for it to be translated to english so i learned japanese just so i don't have to wait but that's that's something in a childhood but it benefited me when I got older and went to Japan and went to Dawa uh, in the Masajid. So, so uh, Alhamdulillah, what I would tell people, it's not really hard. If it's hard for you, it means the technique you're using is wrong. Learn like a child. That's the most important advice I give to anyone learning a language. Learn it like a child is learning it. Mm, yeah. Speaking about like family, uh, the, 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 the languages, um, like similar like, you know, with my parents being from Bangladesh originally, and then like things like Urdu or Hindi or even Persian, you start picking up because of the, uh, the, 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 the similarities in the words, the vocabulary um, and all of that. So, so I, I completely relate to, to what you're saying. And I think it's amazing. It's an amazing piece of advice that you're giving that when it comes to traveling, a lot of us don't really, especially nowadays, I think it's, we become very lazy and lax in this because we have Google Translate. We have, you know, most things are now in English or you just you find some something online, um, but we don't actually pay attention to the language um, in particular. And I think this is a really, really necessary and uh, really valuable tool um, to have uh, going forward, um, even just for yourself, even if you're not going to use it uh, as often. But I think just to have it and just to know that you have it, I think it's, it's very, very valuable. 100%. Yeah, and it's, it's joyous. Like you mentioned, when I read Urdu, I'm able to read everything, not necessarily understand everything. But I pick up like maybe 40% of the words in written form. Mm. And next time I hear them, I'm like, whoa, I, I do know this word, you know, yeah. uh, subhanAllah. And then you start connecting it with Persian and with Turkish even, because yeah, all these yeah. languages drew from each other through the Silk Road. So mm. that's the beauty, subhanAllah, is whatever you learn in one country translates to the next one. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's, that's really, really, really good points about language. I want to now speak about more about, I mean, alhamdulillah, we've spoken about the traveling um, and the languages and the experiences. So I hope those who have listened up until this point, you're very kind of now like raring to go. I definitely am. I just, I, I want to book a ticket and, and start traveling right now, to be honest with you. Um, but I want to speak about now um, other options um, in particular for those not just wanting to travel, um, but for those even looking at exploring options like I want to even migrate, uh, I want to move to a, different, uh, to a different land. And obviously people don't have their own reasons for this. Um, for some people it might be for work, career sake, for others it might be family, for your own children, for education, whatever it may be. And I know, mashallah, Sheikh, you, because of your travels and because of your interactions and experiences, you have a lot to share, even just on this point. Um, so I want to just hear about your advices um, relating to this. And let's let's start with this. You know, why would a person even contemplate what we as Muslims would call hijrah or, you know, migrating? Uh, obviously, we do things for the sake of Allah. But what uh, if, we, if we use that as a starting point, and then we can start talking about some more specific kind of locations and examples, inshallah. Well, I, subhanAllah, I mean, when we first talked about travel, that was also one of my motivations, is trying to find what's the best place in the world to mm -hmm. live. And, and you're always analyzing and even going to a supermarket, you're analyzing the prices and asking people and, and the feeling you get in the country. Uh, of course, you cannot, you cannot decide where to move just on 
a first visit because we always call it the honeymoon period. Everything <laughs> is nice. Everything is good. You're only focused on the positives because you're happy in your trip. It's what happens after that period. What's the place you would love to stay in long term? Uh, first, yani, subhanAllah, we as Muslims in the West, everyone has different reasons. I mean, some Muslims in the West are very established. Alhamdulillah, their children are learning Islam and Quran even better than people who live in Muslim-majority countries. And uh, they were able to raise them. They were able to get a good job and be settled. If, if your situation is like that and you're able to practice your religion freely and your children freely, then alhamdulillah. But then new challenges started to appear. For example, we've seen this year uh, that the uh, there was sisters in Germany who were wearing hijab uh, in their job and they got dismissed. And when they sued their company inside Germany, they uh, they won the case that it was discrimination case. Mm. But when the case was appealed in the European uh, Union court, the European Union, uh, yani, subhanAllah, said that, no, it is okay to mm. discriminate. They didn't say it that way, obviously. Uh, it's okay to discriminate based on hijab. But they said that the employer has the right to restrict the religious clothing. Uh, uh, the employee has the right to restrict the religious clothing of their uh, the employer has the right to restrict religious clothing on their employees. So mm-hmm. then now, it's uh, it, what, what this ruling made, it's okay in Europe to discriminate against sisters wearing hijab in the workplace. So challenges like these makes Muslim families want to move out. I see maybe you're smiling because you left the European Union, so that doesn't apply <laughs> to you. <laughs> yes, the UK left it. But, but yeah. this, this challenge now, many sisters I know in Germany, in Netherlands, in those countries, they are looking for somewhere to move their family. The, the parents don't want their daughters to grow up in such environment. That's the same reason why some of us left some countries. Any our sisters in Turkey, uh, about a, over a decade ago, they were not allowed to wear hijab in university uh, or in their uh, in their workplace. And now look how things changed. For there is uh, yani hijra, the concept of hijra changes all the time. That's why during the only 23 years of the Prophet's prophethood, the first suggestion was to go to Habasha. And Habasha was the best place at that time. And then after some time, yani, uh, in, in Habasha, there was some issues happening with the Najashi and the, his neighbors. And, and then the criteria changed. And now instead of something temporary, they wanted something permanent. So they went to Al-Madina Al-Munawwara. So even where to, to, to do Hijrah at that time, it changed it with the circumstances. And if we were to do this episode a year ago, as we intended originally, I would say very different things than what I'm saying today. Because, for example, up to last year, uh, Malaysia was, was an excellent option. One of the, in my opinion, maybe the most beautiful Muslim country in the world. Uh, I lived there four years, alhamdulillah. And it was very easy to get a visa called Malaysia, my second home, for those who have a certain wealth criteria. Yeah, And now the government is making it too difficult. So now Malaysia is a bit difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other ways, of course, uh, like uh, 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 registering a business with a local partner and then getting a work permit as a result. Yeah, These are a bit complicated. So we always have to measure things, Yanni. How is my life there as a Muslim in each country? Mm-hmm. And how easy it is to establish yourself in that country? And then... Most um, established meaning residency, and the third element is the uh, the risk. How do you get your risk? So if you are at a fixed job, your options will be to find a similar job in another country. And most people find in the Gulf, and it's good to get a job in Saudi Arabia. The Haram is near everything, but you cannot get a residence permit. Uh, I mean, a, a permanent residence or a citizenship. So it's not permanent. If you're okay with that, no problem. Yani all the countries in the Gulf give good salaries, but not permanent jobs, uh, permanent residencies and mm. citizenships. So then you start looking at the, when you Google the list, you start getting some island names you can't even pronounce, right? Like uh, there's, a, there's an island called St. Kitts and Nevis in the Caribbean. You could buy their passport for just $35,000 up to last year. And that was a great option because it makes you travel to 130 countries without visa. 
بس اي دونت ثينك اني ون وود ليف ان 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 ا تاني كونتري ان الكاريبيان ذي كود الحمد لله ذي ريتايرد اور سمثينج بس وي وونت تو اولسو بي نير ذا مسلم كوميونيتي از ويل يعني باينج باسبورتس از ان اوبشن مولدوفا فور اكزامبل اتس ان يوروب You could pay 100,000 euros and get a citizenship. You could do that. Some countries are mm. selling the citizenships, yeah? But these are not good options for Muslims. So for Muslims, either you're finding a job or if you could have your own, if you have your own business and it's online, then the whole world is at your hands. Mm. Then, for example, you have a country like Uh, Georgia. Georgia, many people don't know about. It's in the east east of Turkey. It was opened by uh, Uthman ibn Affan. It was called the Mamlakat al-Taflis, the kingdom of Tib- Today it's called Tbilisi, the capital. Yeah. Uh, just by entering, you get one year uh, visa without even applying. And the Muslim community there it's about it's a good Muslim community. It's about actually 12% of the population. The western part of the country are Sunni Muslims. The eastern part are Shia. Uh, so uh, Batumi in the west part of that country uh, has a sizable Muslim community. About one third of them are Muslims. Mm. Uh, but also then there is a language barrier. It gets a bit cold because it's a mountainous country in the winter. But it's an option for people to go see it and test it out. It's very popular with, uh, with tourism from Muslim countries now, Georgia. Uh, you look at m- most Muslim countries. I mean, you have North Africa. You have uh, Egypt. A lot of people go to study language there. It's cheap. It's easy to get residency. Mm. Uh, the situation may not be very stable there. Uh, yeah, and especially if you're a religious Muslim, uh, the eyes will be on you. There's been reports of a lot of harassment against religious Muslims. And that's, that's sadly my country, but it happens. Mm. Yeah, uh, and they put it under the term security. Uh, Morocco, it's very easy to, uh, you get three months visa on when you enter. And after that, you just go to the police and some paperwork and you get one year by one year. Yeah, and a lot of Westerners uh, in Europe, especially, they live in Morocco because it's close to them. Just one boat, you are back to Europe. Um, but they speak French, mainly mm-hmm. any Arabic and French. So if you don't speak uh, French... That's also difficult. So the, I'm telling you about all these countries so that you keep in mind, okay, so what's left then? Mm. Uh, so subhanAllah, uh, I just got a residence permit in Turkey and I could not believe how easy it was to get a residence permit here. Yeah, and subhanAllah, most countries ask for financial requirement. Turkey asks nothing. All they ask for, all you have to do to get a residence permit in Turkey is, number one, you have a place to stay, either rent or buying. If you're renting, for example, in Istanbul, it costs about, uh, from starting, we always say starting from, one bedroom apartment, 1,800 lira is about uh, $200, about 150 pounds. So so that's uh, the, the monthly rent. Um, and then you need a, you need a health you need to buy a health insurance for the period you're going to stay. If you're going to stay two years, that's the maximum you could get uh, two years residence at a time. You could apply less than that, six months, one month. So uh, per year, it was twenty eight dollars, not per month, per year. Per year. Per year, twenty four pounds for a, a yearly. Uh, health insurance. Right. Of course, this one covers only the emergencies, but it's the minimum. If you want a proper one that covers everything, it's going to be about $200. But really, healthcare is so cheap here, they actually don't need it. And, and people say, but I heard about hospitals doing this move on foreigners or that move. That's a long story. I could cover Turkey by itself in, in a few hours. How to? Because now, now, alhamdulillah, that I've tried living here for six months and experimented and and tested things, I, I learned how the system works and how, as a foreigner here, you could live normally without any being scammed or, or, or getting into any uh, trouble here. Mm-hmm. So all you need for the residence permit is a place to stay. If you're renting, if you're buying properties in, uh, in Istanbul, it starts from 
$35,000, which is almost the price of a car in many countries. Oh, wow. Outside of Istanbul, if you're staying in the south, like Antalya, Alanya, these places, it's even half that price. So it could be about $17,000, $18,000, which is for people who live or work in the West, mm. you could generate that very easily. And in your home country, if you want to buy a home, you need maybe 20, 30-year loan, they say, right? And you have Basically, to go into yeah. interest and haram. But in Turkey, you could save and buy a home immediately. And once you buy a home, you no longer pay rent. The peacefulness you feel that I no longer feel, if, if I don't pay my rent, I'm going to get kicked out. Khas, you have that stress level go completely down. Your blood pressure goes down. Everything goes down, subhanAllah. People say, what about the bills? Electricity is like $25 a month. Mm. Uh, water is like uh, $4 a month. Oh, wow. uh, gas, uh, gas like for heating and for cooking. I've been paying $4. In the winter, obviously, it's going to go higher because you need to uh, mm. uh, warm up your room. But yani, then if you buy a, a new home, like this one, this home I'm staying in is for my mother. May Allah preserve her. And the walls are insulated. So with a very little heat, it stays warm all the time. I came in the in the end of winter when we moved here, subhanAllah. Fa, the the normal day-to-day cost is very low once you purchase a property. But even if you don't and you're not ready, I would first recommend before you buy something, you, you spend uh, like a year maybe renting. So you know the city, you know the country, you know the mm. areas. And then after that, you make your decision to buy. But that, but, but I personally didn't follow the advice I'm giving you now because <laughs> the lira, the Turkish lira this year crashed. And when it crashed, it gave an opportunity. These prices are unimaginable. If you were buying three, four years ago, it would have been $100,000. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so before, I actually never mentioned Turkey. I always mentioned Malaysia. But now Turkey is even cheaper than Malaysia. And I never imagined a day would come when this happens. Of course, we're not happy that a Muslim country's currency gets weak. Mm. We're not happy. We want the, the, the uh, economy of Muslim countries to be strong. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, subhanAllah, this is the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the hardships of, of some people are an ease and mercy for other people. So this is an ease and mercy for anyone from the West who wants to get a property now and get a residence permit. And you don't have to live here. Before, there was a condition that if you stayed out of Turkey for four months, your residence permit is canceled. They removed that condition. So now you could get the residence permit and go back to your country and you know you have the residence permit of Turkey and you just have to renew it every two years. So once you have the health insurance and and the place to stay, and your passport, you apply online on the government website. You don't need to pay. Uh, you could pay an agent if you feel that you may mess up the paperwork or there is something else. Uh, mm. Yeah, you could do that. They will save your time. But you could also do it yourself. And, and then the fees depend on your nationality. For most nationalities, it would be around uh, $8 a month. Yani. So the whole year would be like $100 to get that uh, residence permit in Turkey. Of course, getting a work permit is much, much harder. Yeah. This residence permit, yeah, and in some countries, if you try to, for example, move to Thailand or to Malaysia or to Indonesia or to many countries that offer what we call retirement visas. First, there is an age limit. And then there is, uh, you have to prove a big uh, money in your account, like 100,000, 200,000. Most of us don't. I don't have that. May Allah Turkey, they did not ask for anything financial. They could. And if they do, you just have to show that you have $500 per month. So if you're applying for one year, you show you have $6,000 in the bank. If you're applying for two years, you show you have $12,000 in the bank. If they ask. But so far, they didn't ask for me or my friends or my mother. Even, subhanAllah, my mother is applying with an Egyptian passport. They still did not ask her. Uh, I, I thought they would discriminate. It's a perception that, for example, when foreigners uh, from the West apply, it's different than people, for example, from less wealthy countries. But that didn't happen in my experience. Mm. So Turkey is amazing in that regard. Now, someone say, how is the life in Turkey? Mm. And I would say, look, every country in the world, I travel to look for the perfect country. Yep. The perfect country doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean... 
يعني for me for me I felt close to perfection was Malaysia for Muslim countries mm-hmm. and Japan as non-Muslim countries. That's the closest thing to right. perfection. But even these countries, they also have, every country has something. My country of has course. something. Even, even our Western countries has uh, some negatives. That's normal. So Turkey, alhamdulillah, uh, p- people who come here as tourists, they say, but look, I don't feel I'm in a Muslim country. People are, uh, they're, they're not wearing their hijab and so on. I say, look, it really depends on you choose the area. So if you go to Taksim where the tourists go and all that, it's the most secular area in all of Turkey. So maybe the, the, you will find five five percent hijab there. Yeah. But if you go where we're staying now is Ayub, named after the Sahabi Abu Ayub al Ansari mm. This area is ninety five percent hijab. Mm. Fa, fa, where where you, and, and 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 other areas when you go on Jum'ah. Uh, everything is open here. When I go to Jum'ah, the shops are closed. Yeah, and people people actually go and pray. Just on so that note, by the way, uh, I I remember when I was in Istanbul, um, I went to an area. I think it's called. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Charshambar or something like that. Charshambar or, or something like this. And when I went there, it was, it was it was crazy. Like it was just like a different world I was in compared to like you said Taksim or something. It was like the everything the the, the clothing. The, uh, the the shops, the masajid, the environment, everything was confused. So I think for a lot of people, so they need to understand as well, Istanbul is huge. Number one, it is... It 20 is, million people. Yeah, yeah. So so there, there are so many different areas to explore, not just the, the standard like touristy areas that you hear of or that you go to. I remember when I went to Istanbul and I spoke to one sheikh and he was laughing at us. He asked us, how long are you staying here for? We said one week. He was laughing at our faces. So why are you laughing for? He said... One week in Istanbul, you're crazy. He said, even one month is not enough to explore just Istanbul. Uh, SubhanAllah, <laughs> I, I'm six months here now and, and still uh, like 10% on my list of things to do. <laughs> you, could live, you could live here for years. And that's what I like about uh, Istanbul. Not necessarily, I mean, you could live in the south if you want more warm and sea and all that. But if you're still young and, and you have health, you want to have a lot of activities and things to do. And Istanbul has that. Istanbul also has something I love, which is nearly every ethnicity of the world lives here. And I, I, I found this by looking at the restaurants. Like mm-hmm. I checked every cuisine in the world and it exists here for people who like eating out and food and all that. The only thing I didn't find maybe is Taiwanese. Yeah. But everything else from even smaller countries in, 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 in Europe and Asia and uh, Af- Afghani restaurants and, and, and everything is here. So whenever I miss traveling now because of COVID, your options are limited. If I miss a country, I just go to a restaurant from that country. <laughs> and, and the good thing is you don't have to ask halal or not halal because all the meat is halal here. Mm. Uh, when I go, for example, when I went to a Chinese restaurant in China... There's a problem because they put pork in the broth, even in a seafood soup. Oh. Here, I don't even have to worry about that. Here, I just, mm-hmm. bismillah, you go, you like something you eat, you don't ask. Uh, and because, again, because the lira crashed, actually, I mean, subhanAllah, there is an app on your phone. It has, like, uh, offers every day. Uh, you could always find, like, 100 restaurants on 50% off. So... We order food at home for one and a half dollar for me and my mother. And we're eating very well, subhanAllah, that we say we never have to cook. When, when food is that cheap, you, you save the time of cooking and invest it in doing something else for your business or for your da'wah. Mm. For, for, for the low cost of living now uh, from the weekend lira has made this easy. It made it more difficult for the locals. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help them. But the, the, they keep raising the minimum wage for them so they could still have... Uh, a decent life. Everyone here could have the minimum because the, the minimum wage is, is $500 a month uh, for Turkish people. And that's enough to get rent and food and everything. Maybe with the kids, you have a little more, more expenses. But see, any for, for uh, basic life, that's excellent. Now, people, people ask also about, okay, but if I move here, where do I get rizq from? Mm. Uh, work permits are hard because they want to protect it for the local uh, citizens. Yeah. And also, even if you do have a work permit, you will not make much because, as I said, the minimum wage is $500. Uh, 
even a good job for a foreigner, maybe you get $1,000. Alhamdulillah, that's that's good amount of yeah. money in Turkey, yes? Uh, if you're teaching English, uh, like in a school, 800. So mostly, I mean, if you're English speaker, uh, if you're native, you could teach English online very easily. And and some play, some um, websites pay you like $10 a month. It may not seem much to you, eight pounds at $10, but that's a, uh, that's 80 liras here. That's a lot of money here. That That's it. It's you always measure the money in terms of what it buys you locally. Yeah, that, that buys food, 80 lira buys food for four days. If you're buying from the supermarket, that's for one week or more. Uh, that's actually three of your four bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, for $10 an hour amounts to about $1,600 a month uh, teaching English online. That's very good. If two people are doing this, you and your spouse, that's you will live like a king here on uh, on two thousand dollars even in uh, in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for that's usually the easiest way for people who are coming from the West. Is English is not your native language. There is websites like uh, uh, Upwork.com. You could work freelancing in almost anything. Research, uh, uh, graphic editing. You could learn these skills online. I mean. I, I I learned them because I I I, uh, I had to, but I wanted to also. So mm. I learned about video editing, graphic design. You take courses. You will find something you're good in, inshallah, if you want to work online. Um, if you want to yani, op- uh, open a business, yeah, maybe that's a different uh, story. We have to make a longer lecture yeah. about that. But um, you could work as a consultant in the job you worked in previously. Mm. But I give you all levels. English is easy and uh, other things require more uh, skill level. So it's not for everyone. I'm not going to say it is for everyone. Yeah. But uh, but it is for a lot of people that they're able to, uh, inshallah, move here and, and have an income. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, just listening to you over the last like 15, 20 minutes, I mean, you've shared... MashaAllah, like so much, so much information. Clearly, obviously, you've done your research. And uh, I think for a lot of for a lot of people listening, they're just going to be uh, quite, you know, they're going to be quite surprised, I think, pleasantly surprised even that, uh, you know, you've shared so much detail, even to the extent of, you know, roughly how much things would cost, etc. I want to ask you, actually, like, I'm quite interested to know, why are you, Sheikh, so passionate about sharing this information with with other people? Um, and and why you're so kind of like obviously you've gone you've explored why why would you want to share this with other Muslims and why you feel that will really impact them or, or benefit them? Well, Alhamdulillah, yani, because you know when you, when you when you are happy with something, you become passionate about it and and love for your brother what you love for yourself. So yeah, so for yani. Uh, I think, subhanAllah, when Muslims from the West move here, we could create a community. That's like what's in it for me, right? We could have a da'wah community. We could work together. But at the same time, I know that some people are having difficulties now in the West because of COVID. Uh, many people lost their jobs. Many people are looking for alternatives. The, 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 the pressure on the Muslim family in the West is 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 getting difficult in some places. Yani the, the hate crimes, the... Uh, even if no hate crimes happen, you feel like your children are always under pressure. Some people struggling to raise their children. Uh, uh, My my objective is not to uh, persuade you to move to Turkey. My objective is to give you options. And you decide what's the best option for you. It might not be Turkey. It might be getting a job in in, in the Gulf, in Saudi or in Qatar or in Bahrain or something else. It, Mm. It might be you staying in the West. It might be you at least have the option so that when you have difficulties in your life or in your risk, you have a plan B. You have somewhere to go. For, for me, when COVID started and I could no longer, uh, the, the masajid are closed, I had no income from, uh, from, from being a full-time imam anymore. Okay, I have a limited savings. If I was to stay in Norway, that's the most expensive country in the world, my savings would disappear like in a few months in, in COVID era, Right. So my, that's when my travel experience came and like, oh, I know cheap countries to stay in. So my savings would last longer. Mm. So I, I moved first to, I stayed uh, uh, like three months in Bosnia. 
Uh, and then I just went to neighboring countries and I stayed. But you, ca- you kept getting three months visa, three months visa, three months visa. After some time, you get tired, you know, like, okay, I, I don't, I enjoy it, but I don't want to keep jumping all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not good if you have a family, especially. So that's when I said, that's it. I'm getting down to Turkey and getting a residence permit. So I don't have to keep jumping from place to place. I could if I want to. Now we, we could jump it out of, uh, out of, uh, enjoyment not because we're forced to because the visa has expired so that's it's about really giving you options and thinking long term also okay now you have a job but some are like maybe 25 years 30 years later you're going to retire Uh, and now it's more difficult to save for retirement because of the high cost of living so at least you establish a place where you feel that's your safety place yeah and even if you never intend to uh, live in Turkey. If let's say you're in the UK, if 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 I lose my job in the UK, I'm not stressed because I could go sit in Turkey for a few months with my limited savings until I'm ready to go back and find a job in the in the UK. That's an example. I have a safety place to stay. For me, I've been traveling for ten years, and most of these years I did not have a base. Mm. So after some time, it really becomes stressful. So now at least I have a base. I have somewhere to go back to. And, and alhamdulillah, here, if you love traveling, the Turk, the Istanbul pass, uh, airport is the most connected in the world. You could go cheaply anywhere. Right now, I'm seeing offers, actually, uh, on Pegasus Airlines, uh, nine, uh, nine euros, so 12 dollars, $12, eight pounds to fly to London. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so you have, a, you have a quick escape as well, whenever you need. Uh, alhamdulillah. So, so that's why... You, to answer your question, yes, I'm giving you options, just options. Mm. No, very, very, really, really interesting to know. And to be honest, I think from from just some of the discussions we've had today, we can. Uh, there's so much to unpack, and we can perhaps even pick on some. Like the first half of our discussion was on traveling. To be honest, we could just have what, another episode just on your travel experiences and learning more about that. And obviously, this discussion, there's so much more to discuss on it. But I, I think, alhamdulillah, we've covered very good ground in terms of what we wanted to discuss. And I feel like this is a good starting point. I'm not going to say this is going to solve, we're not going to say this is going to solve everyone's problems and khalas, you have the answer now. But I think this is a very good starting point for a lot of people to think about either just traveling, uh, just about learning new things, about those experiences, to change that mindset of theirs, or even uh, to take that extra step, that next step, which is, to even consider moving permanently somewhere. So, so Sheikh, I really wanted to thank you, Jazakallah Khair, for all so, your input. Before input. I go, before I go, I wanted to give yeah. a gift for the audience, inshallah. inshallah. So if you go, if you go on uh, my website, ilmpath.com, of course, this is Ilmfi, this is Ilmpath. We are <laughs> we work together, we're not connected, but ilmpath.com, you can download a free book that tells you about uh, life in seven cities in Turkey. So in that book, inshallah, I tell you about the history of some of the places and the things to see for your visit. So that inshallah later, you could consider uh, moving if you like. But the first stage is to, and even if you're not traveling now, I talk to you like I'm holding your hand and traveling with you in that book. So it's like virtual travel. It's like you could relax and and travel with me. And I show you all the sites in uh, in Istanbul and around Istanbul, inshallah, ilmpath.com. Jazakallah Sheikh. May Allah bless you. That's that's very generous, and definitely we do advise our uh, encourage our viewers and listeners do check out uh, Sheikh Walid's work, ilmpath.com. Follow his Facebook page, uh, see what he's been up to, all the travels, and gain some insights and 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 perhaps some inspiration for your next travel as well. Sheikh, once again, thank you so much. May Allah bless you. I hope to see you whether it's in London or I come to Turkey. I hope to inshallah see you and meet you very very soon in the near future. Jazakallah khair. I'm waiting for you, Imam, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. 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 Bless you. And, and to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for tuning in once again to another episode. Do stay tuned, subscribe to our channel because inshallah we've got more episodes coming your way. From myself, Shabir, from Sheikh Walid in Turkey, we bid you farewell until the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.